Good morning the second time. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Ashley and worship team. When you rock today, brought us to where we needed to be. Thank you so much. Thank you all that served and all the ushers and greeters that make this happen every week. We're so thankful for you. Give yourself a hand. Hey, give yourself a hand. It's my honor today to have my girls all in the house with me. For those of you that know, Pastor Amanda used to serve here at the Gate Church for many, many years, and she's my oldest daughter. And God called her in the most unusual way to move, like across the pond. Now, it could have been Vermont or somewhere like that, but God called her. One of the last things that her dad, and for those of you that are visiting today, I lost my husband 16 months ago, and he was the bishop of this house. And our daughter, the very last for her and Pastor J- her and Jason, um, was the one last thing he did two hours before he died, was to place them into the house in which they are right now in, in England. So you know that God was in it. You know that God, listen, when you think he doesn't care and you don't understand that he has all those little things, he's working in your behalf. Because you know what? January 18th, God knew January 19th was coming and he was going to go see Jesus. This could have been, this might have not been done, but God knew what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was doing just a couple hours before Bishop transitioned to be with his Heavenly Father. So today, she's not been back. She's kind of been back and forth to the States, but she's not honored us with her presence. And so I'm thankful today. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm thankful today for Pastor Amanda Connor and for Pastor Jason Connor and for Mosaic Church. I'm thankful for what God has done in our life. I'm thankful for what God is doing in our life. But I'm most of all, most of all, thank you, her, me, God, all of us, that I get to call her my daughter. And so... I present to you today to bring the word, Pastor Amanda Connor. Okay, thank you. Well, I would just hate for you to stand for me and not stand for her. Come on, that's right. She the one coming and showing up. She the one that's been there when no one else has. She's the one that's been here day in and day out. It would be so wrong for you to honor somebody 4,500 miles away and not give thanks for the one who's 10. We honor Kathy Miller, the gift of God she is, not just to you, to me. I'm, I'm glad I got two great parents, and so I got to take the best and reject the worst. I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm not, but I'm going to say I'm going to be spiritual. I want to be spiritual. Well, it's so good to be back at the gate. I love the gate church. This is my home church. This is a place where I cut my teeth on preaching. Probably some of you don't know me, but some of you remember how bad 17 years ago those sermons were. 
you remember the endurance and the tenacity and perseverance it took just to take a note but I'm really grateful you know that's what that's what makes a place special uh, is when you know it was the place of your real development I knew I had a call of God on my life from a from a young child I just I, I wanted to use it in ways that probably God didn't intend to begin with because I thought it would be easier and I'll never forget when I was about 16 years old I didn't really know my dad's full story when I was younger I had bits and pieces but he was raised in a generation that you didn't always tell the bad and and so he didn't always say you know everything he said it always had like a redemptive portion so you always got the good part of whatever you became but not the bad part and uh, when I was about 16 years old I remember I said to him I want to go into law and I was starting to have opportunities because our school district had started a little program where if you were interested in law degrees, you could become like a junior attorney and work beside other attorneys. And, and I said to him, I really feel like I'm supposed to go into law. And if you know my dad or if you knew him or maybe you've heard him preach, he, he has a very similar vibe and he just, mm-hmm. He just, mm-hmm me. And uh, I took that as full agreement. Because, you know, that was the good thing about dad is that he didn't always tell you yes or no. You had to decide for yourself what you thought. And I remember I, I said to him this about going to law. And then, and then one day he said, you know, Amanda, let's go for a ride to Moorhaven. I've got something to do in Moorhaven, which was about 20 miles from where we live. And I said, okay, yeah, that's fine. So I probably was 17 at this point. And he put me in the car and he said to me, Amanda, you would make the most incredible attorney. You would do an absolute brilliant job. You will have no friends, though. You will never get married. You will walk on everybody, and you'll be as far away from Jesus as possible. He said, you know why I know that? Because you're just like me. He said, if I'd have done what I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was tell people how wrong they were. And he said, so do you. And I will never forget that that moment, it transformed my life. Now, whether or not it was the right thing to say to your daughter, I left crushed. I thought, my God, I just wanted to go into law. But my dad said to me, you know, I think you have a call of God on your life. And if you'll let me shape it and you'll let others shape it, God will use it. And I'm so thankful for my mom and dad because had it not been for their guidance, I would have ended up in something profitable. But something that wasn't made for the significance of why I exist. Now, see, that's why you got to make sure that you don't let your children just go into something successful because if you let them believe that success is attached to a dollar sign or owning something then you'll teach them the opposite of the kingdom the kingdom is about submission not about ownership it's about stewardship not about what you can possess and if we're not careful, we're raising a generation, particularly in America, where we have embedded our expectations of what we missed out on onto the next generation, hoping that they somehow vicariously please what we were unwilling and courageous to do. And I just, I have to say I'm grateful for my mom and dad because they didn't do that. They sat with me and taught me, and that's what made me be able to say yes to England. Some of you are aware of my transition. Others of you, I'm seeing you for the first time. That's so wonderful. I'm so glad. That means we are a growing, moving church. Isn't that good news? You should be excited that you don't know everybody sitting beside you. 
If you aren't excited about that, then you are not in a growing church. You should be excited that the person beside you, you've never met before in your life. I get tired of people that say, well, I just want to go to a church where I know everybody. I don't. If I go to a church where I know everybody, there is nothing new to learn. There is nothing new to push on. There, every fruit of the Spirit is connected to a relationship. You can't develop nothing if you don't have to get in the presence of anybody. And so I'm thankful today that I'm in England. I bring you greetings from Mosaic Church because we have a great privilege of stewarding an incredible church there. My husband and I, baby, you look good all the time and you look better when I'm beside you. Together, together, the world shifts. But we have an incredible church there, and I'm so thankful they released us to be here. They send their greetings, their love. I'm doing uh, really cool things, and I'm really excited about it. God's opening incredible doors. He's given us incredible favor, and it's really coming from the birthing of what he has for our nation. Uh, I love the fact that I'm an American, and I love America. There is no doubt I love America. I love America because it is my people, and I love England. I have, I have allowed myself to attach to a new people so that we can bridge gaps. How many of you know the gospel is not American? The gospel is not American. The gospel is a kingdom gospel made for the entire earth. America doesn't have all the good ideas. I'll preach on this side. I'm going to help somebody. America's not the only place that's got to go. You know what? It'd be good if some Africans would come start some churches in America. Because they got some stuff they could teach some Americans. I've never met a group of people that know how to pray like a group of Africans. They know how to get in the presence of God. You know why? Because they don't have all the options we have. So either God does it or he doesn't. And what I'm trying to impress upon us is that God sent me to England. I knew it when I said yes. He sent me so that I could come back to these moments and say, we are not going to be an American church. We have to embrace where God's taking us. And as a daughter of the house, I want you to know something. I came with a word. I am not going back down. I am not going to, I'm going to just do what I know to do. And I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. Because I believe that God has a word for this house. I believe he's appointed this season, this moment, this time. And I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you for praying for us. Now, are you ready? Let's get to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. When you get there, would you stand for the reading of the word as it is my tradition? Judges chapter 3. Now, it's a, a bit of a lengthy passage, but I have to read the whole story in order to build from it. So I'm just going to read it, and then, uh, and then we'll pray. Starting in verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Elon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil. And then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek and went and defeated Israel. And he took possession of the city of Palms, which was also Jericho. So the children of Israel served Elon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man, by him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Elon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger, and it was long in length and fashioned under his clothes on the right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Elon, king of Moab, 
And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried it with him. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. And he came back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silent. And all that attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in the cool of his private chamber. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went through the porch, shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants went to look, and for their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked, and they said he's probably attending to his knees in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were embarrassed in the upper room, and therefore they took the key and opened it, and then they saw their fallen master on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while he had been delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew a trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led him. Verse 28. And then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down with him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and they did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed 10,000 men of Moab, and all stout men of valor, not one man escaped. Moab was subdued. And after that day, there was 80 years of rest. Lord, thank you for the ability to preach and teach today. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uprooting strongholds. And thank you, Lord, for the ability to pull down imagination and to take the reins over territorial spirits. Thank you, Lord, today for the ability to preach and communicate your word. Anoint my words today. Let them drip with your spirit. Let them take root in people. Lord, I thank you that you get all the glory for today. This is not about me. It's not about them. It's about you. And we put all of our weight on your goodness and on who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. You may be seated. If I was going to give a title today for the next few minutes, and I won't hold you long. I just want to build for a couple of minutes. I would call it this. What's left is right. What's left is is right. And here's why I want to call it that, because I want to set up for you the book of Judges. The book of Judges is an interesting book because a lot of people misinterpret the book of Judges. But the book of Judges is all about the presence of God getting attached to ordinary people through difficult circumstances or areas of their life that they didn't think they were capable of doing something to bring forth a deliverance that God had always intended. It was about the ordinariness of people who had allowed God to get on the inside of them and create in them an ability to do something that they did not realize they were capable of doing. So in my world, I would like to say that that same book is living out in us today because the Old Testament is type and shadow. It talks about the coming on of the Holy Spirit rather than the Spirit living within you. So when we look at the book of Judges, we're looking at people who are kind of types and shadows of God. They are people who 
who God anoints and appoints and attaches himself to so that he can bring his people out and bring them in. That's why you can see a man like Gideon who is scared and defeated in a wine press, having wheat being thrashed around him. That's why he can be in that situation and God still show up and say, you're the man for the hour. You're the one in which I've anointed. You're the one in which I want. Because God's not intimidated by what you lack. He just wants to know whether or not you will let what you lack get into his hands of fullness. And if you will let what you lack get into his hands of fullness, anything is possible. The only thing that God cannot change within a man is the will in which he sets himself to. That is why God has no problems with turning water into concrete. God has no problems taking a woman and making her an army leader. God has no problems showing up for a man named Ahud and making him into something great that can take out the enemy around him. What he tends to have problems with is not the one of what he's capable of doing, but the one who is willing to let him do what he is capable of doing. I have found in the body of Christ today that there are more people who will tell God what they lack, expecting that somehow God lacks what they lack, when what God is looking for is a restoration of the submitted will of mankind to say, I didn't know how to do it if I had it all together. If this wasn't facing me, I still wouldn't know. If I had all the money and the world and the bank, I still wouldn't have enough to satisfy the longing and the yearning for significance. It doesn't matter if the report came back good. If your will cannot get submitted to the voice of the Lord, so Judges is all about people who made choices to submit themselves to something greater than they believed they were capable of. And you know what I love about that type of a book is that it encourages me. It encourages me because I know what it means to get in front of a congregation who ain't like me. And need to preach the gospel to them and bring something to them and think to myself, there is reasons why you should not want to hear my voice. There is reasons why this should not work. There is reasons why this American girl should not be showing up 4,500 miles away, pastoring a church in England. There are lots of reasons that you could write down in a book and send it as a blog on why this doesn't seem right. But I have just decided that God, you are wanting to bring deliverance to places in the earth and if I will just submit myself if I will just let my will and my vulnerability get on the right side of your goodness you will bring forth something that I was incapable of on my own but when I attach to your goodness when I attach to your purpose when I get on the right side of your power I'm able to do things that someone looked at me and said no that's not possible for her those people shouldn't be doing that you been divorced you've had this happen you've had that happen well hold on just a second because I find in scripture that God is not held up by what you used to be or what you even in the future will face he just wants to know will you yield yourself enough to me to where I can make some left things the right thing are y'all okay now I gotta get somewhere so I end up in scripture here with a, a man that I'm sure none of y'all had in your prayer life this week. Ahud, if I said to you, Ahud, most of y'all be looking at me going, is that in the Bible? Where's that man at? 
the Bible says something very specific. Then in chapter 3, that Ehud shows up. And interestingly, you should never discredit what information Scripture gives you. You should never discredit the details of the Scripture. See, some of us are so used to passing by Scripture that we miss the context, the lesson within the lesson, the wheel within the wheel. What it is God's wanting us to see beyond just the initiation. Some people read Judges chapter 3 and they walk away saying, thank God for a deliverance. But when I read Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12, I look at a man who was unqualified. The Bible tells you something straight away. He tells you straight away that this man was left-handed. Now, in the culture, we, yeah, woohoo. That's right, Pastor David Briggs. Woohoo, Pastor David, that's what makes you so great. You are our Ehud. The Bible says that this man was left-handed. Now, in the culture we live in today, that doesn't have, clear, that doesn't have nearly as much implication as it did in Scripture. In Scripture, in the times of this particular passage, to be left-handed was to literally carry a handicap. To not be like something that was the majority would be to qualify not just as different, but as awkward. Someone who couldn't have weaponry made because they only knew how to really make weapons for those that could wield it in their right hand. Everybody had been taught through the scriptures that it was the right hand of God that was the blessing. And the left hand was the place that was more evil or less blessed. In fact, we even do it today in what we call American football because we have something called the blind side. It's the side that we pay more money for because it's the side that the quarterback can't see. It's considered the side that is weak because the tight end is normally on the right side. I got any football fans in here that know what I'm talking about. And you should be impressed. This white girl standing up here knows this. <laughs> the fight for American football in my region now is a big fight. I'm telling you this so that you understand that the left-handedness that is presented to us is to basically give us in Scripture the defect that existed. It was to help us understand that God heard the people. He had a deliverer, but he was going to choose to do it through someone who was claimed as handicapped. And here's what I find so interesting about the passage. Is that the Bible says not only was he left-handed, he was smart enough not to let someone change him because others tried to shame him for what looked like difference. I'm telling you, some people in America would get a breakthrough if they would stop allowing someone else to shame what God intended to use for their goodness. You got to stop letting people look down on you because you didn't make the right business decision. You got to stop letting people look down on you because you've had two marriages. You got to stop letting people look down on you because you had a baby out of wedlock. Let me tell you something. It may be what happened, but it is not the indication of what God can do with you. You may have the shame of a left hand, but in the anointing 
of God. He will take what looked like a handicap to your culture and use it for the very instrument of deliverance for those he has called you to. Most victories are one on the back of things you refuse to be ashamed about. Most victories are one on the back of things you refuse to be ashamed about. Listen to me. 22 years ago, almost 23 now, I found myself in that place. I conceived our first daughter in a way that is against the Bible, against acceptance. None of it looked right. My dad stood me up in front of a congregation, had me repent. He repented. We all repented. Everybody repented. I remember, I remember too, leaving that service and feeling two things. One, overwhelming love and support from people and shame from others. There were two groups always in my arena. The ones who could see past it and the ones who stopped me at it. And I'm going to tell you something. The victories that have existed in my life, now traveling to 43 nations, having the privilege to preach the gospel, pastor a church, go into all kinds of churches and be able to share and declare the word of the Lord, have incredible, incredible honor in places that I don't deserve, did not come because I ignored my story. They came because I refused to be ashamed of it. Let me help us today. I have come to speak over this house. There has been a shame of territorial spirit that's tried to attach itself to this house. It's tried to make us feel for the last 16 months when everybody walking around. I have been in a Ross this week and ran into a woman who said, oh, it's just so terrible what's happened at the gate. And I walked out of that store. Now, I'm not telling you that because I have any issues with her. I'm going to tell you this. I walked out of that room and knew there was a spirit that has tried to attach itself of shame. That we will be shamed that somehow our bishop went to be with Jesus earlier than others. That somehow we will be shamed that people have decided to go into their next and not stay in this next. And we refuse to allow shame to attach itself to this house. I'm telling you, you say, I don't understand what you're talking about that's okay sometimes you got to make some declarations and my declaration is there is a victory on the other side of what we will not be ashamed about yes we are left-handed yes we don't wield in our right but we are on purpose letting God use what looked like it was a defect for the very goodness of deliverance for what he But I've come to tell someone it's the right thigh that you're going to be able to pull the dagger out. Stop being ashamed. Bishop Tony died, but we're not ashamed. People went into their next, but we're not ashamed. We are a sending center called by God, declared by the heavenlies, brought according to Genesis 28. When we name this church, we will be a place where heaven and earth interact. We will not be a place that holds up what God is doing. Whatever he wants, we will embrace. We are 
Zimmer, Mike. I'm not going to deny the facts. I'm going to let God use them. There is a difference between facts and truth. There are some things that are factual, but they are not truthful. There are facts that are surrounding us that have tried to impress upon us that somehow they are the truth of the testimony, but they are not the truth. They are simply a fact. A fact is we had a loss. The fact is we've had a few. The fact is we've lost some things that we never thought we'd have to face. But I will tell you this. The truth is we are overcomers. We will do what God called us to do. We will be who God called us to be. He has not changed the plan. He has not reversed the curse. He is simply calling us into our next left hand up. Now you say, say to yourself, yes, God can use anybody. But see, this is what I love. This is what I, that's what I love. I love this. It's fun preaching here. I love the fact that it gives us even more detail than this. Because as soon as Ehud knew he was going to carry the tribute, there's no indication other than one little scripture that he thought this could be a moment. The Bible only tells us one thing, that he was left-handed, he was going to carry the tribute, and he made a dagger. He already believed he was capable before the opportunity arose. He already knew that he could get past all the guards who were looking on the left thigh because he knew that what it was that made him different was no longer a difference. It was the advantage. He actually brought the advantage forward for God. See, I don't know, but I've had a feeling over Oklahoma City we have for many, many years that, that we were supposed to walk in the anointing of advance notice. Where we didn't have to wait till the problem arose to figure out what to do in it. See, that's why I hate words like post-pandemic. Because God is not surprised by a pandemic. And the people of God shouldn't have been either. In fact, it's not a post-pandemic. It was the reformation God was always trying to usher in. It was the strategy of heaven from the beginning to get the wheat and the shaft away from each other. So that you could really have to contemplate where your loyalties lie. It's not a post-pandemic. It is a reformation of God. But the people who know how to work in the spirit don't have to wait for all the conditions to be lined up before they prepare the dagger for the deliverance God is wanting them to bring. That is why you can't come off the mountain of showing up. That is why you can't sit on the fence on whether or not you are here or you are somewhere else because God is looking for a people who don't need the opportunity yet, but they are willing to create and make the dagger 
that will take out the enemy. The one who will say, I will pray in the upper room until something happens. I will tarry until God says yes. But when that opportune moment comes, I will not miss the moment because the dagger is already in my thigh. Some of y'all haven't had victory in your life yet, not because you don't have the opportunity, but you got no dagger. You spent time talking to Jesus about what you lack instead of preparing for how God could use what you have. More money, more time, better job, better husband, better wife. God said, I'd bring the opportunity to you. I just can't trust that you'll put the dagger in place before it gets there. And I will tell you this, God's extravagant, but he's not wasteful. He has no problem using you, but he won't bring wasteful opportunities to you. If you're going to take out the enemy that's facing us in the earth today, you got to learn how to prepare in advance. you got to get there before you felt like it. You got to believe you are capable of God using the weak side before you start to discredit what it is that God has already said. The weak side isn't weak in the hands of God. I'm supposed to be telling you points, but I'm just going to talk and y'all are going to just write. I don't know. I don't do this in my own church. I got to give them points. You know, point number one. I do like this. Point number two. Let me tell you this. What you become intimidated by will stop you. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. And this is me. The intimidation that came to Nehemiah came through voices. Voices that came to stop the work. Let me tell you what we have to take authority over. We got to stop being intimidated by everybody else's opinions. I'm going to preach on this side. There are people who have said things to you. I know this. I didn't even talk to none of y'all. But there are things people have said to you and they've said things like this. Why are you still going down there? Why are you still doing that? Look at all the things that are going on. Why is that still a place you're calling your home? Why is it that you stay at that job? Or why is it you stay married to that person? Because opinions don't just come. They come to frustrate you to the place that it intimidates you and it causes you to stop. Intimidation is one of the greatest things the enemy is using today. He is trying to intimidate his people to make us believe that Satan is bigger and God is smaller. That somehow there is equality between the truth and the lie. I want you to understand they are not standing side by side waiting to figure out which one is right. A truth far outweighs whatever the lie that's been told. It trumps the lie. If you are weighing between two opinions, I think you need to get back to the altar because the Bible says he is all in all, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There is nothing missing, nothing broken. And I'm coming to tell you we've got to stop letting opinions change our minds. Nehemiah said they came to 
intimidate me, to get me to stop working, but I refuse to come off the wall. This word came to me this past week, and I'm sharing it with you. Job chapter 4, verse 11 says this, the old lion dies when it no longer has new prey. There are some old opinion lions laying around in the dirt of this house where they have been preying on your thoughts. They've been preying on what you think you're capable of. They have been preying on our possibility. And the Bible says the moment you stop feeding that madness, when there's no longer a prey about, when you take your ground and say, I will not be intimidated. I will not back down. I will not become something that you did not create me to be. I will stand as the man or woman you have declared. When you are capable of doing that, the old lions begin to die I'm telling you you got to stop feeding some things stop throwing out some meat stop giving your friend at the water cooler a talking to and you walking away and knowing what you just said was not right I'm telling you the old lions they will die when you get yourself to a place you're no longer intimidated Where are the Benias who will go into a pit on a snowy day? The conditions did not look right. Things around them did not make sense. But one thing was true. There was a lion on the land that did not belong to him. And there was a man who knew it is my day to take out what is trying to intimidate me. And he went after the intimidation and killed it. I'm telling you, people would get a victory if they didn't wait for it to show up to them. But they'd go chasing it. Philippians chapter 1 says, don't, this is Paul writing, don't be intimidated. Because when you're not intimidated, the enemy gets wind that you will not re remove yourself from this situation. Listen to me. God is looking for a people who will not be stopped. Can I give you a scripture? John chapter 20. 20. Wow, it's a, uh, oh, they're counting me down. I thought it was like 10.15. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I was like, that can't be so. But they're counting me down. Okay, bless the Lord. All the preacher problems. John chapter 20. I'm going to walk you through it just for the sake of time. It's an interesting passage of scripture starting in verse 1. You can work through it to verse 10. I'm going to give you my highlight. The bottom line is Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. She realizes that the stones have been rolled away. Something's going on. Her immediate reaction is, is that this can't be God. This has got to be somebody who came and robbed. Somebody who came and took. Somebody who came to devour. So she runs to Peter and John. Some translations say John, but John himself calls himself the other disciple. But most scholars believe it was John. That he runs to Peter and John and she tells them all of what she understands. She tells them that they, she believes that the, the Savior's body has been taken. The Bible says that when she begins to tell them that they immediately began to run. That they began to run from where they were to the tomb. Now the Bible's really clear, like I said to you earlier, you got to pay attention to the words. Because the words say that Peter started running first, but John began to outrun him. Now why John told us that, maybe he was feeling good about himself that day, I don't know. He also called himself the one the Lord loved, so he obviously really believed it. He said he outran Peter. 
But he does give an indication of his own stopping mechanism because the Bible says that when they showed up to the tomb, when John showed up, he, he bent down and looked in. He got there first, but he didn't step in. Peter got there second, but the Bible says Peter walked into the tomb. I'm coming with a word for somebody. It is not about how fast you run. It is not about how outwardly courageous you are. If you don't have the courage when you arrive to step in, you will always be looking from the outside. John got there first, but he had no courage to go in first. I'm telling some of y'all that you believe you've been overlooked because you can't outrun the person who is beside you. It looks as if they are further along, doing more, capable of more. They've been producing more. It looks around you as if in some way you were not capable in the same level that they were. But the Bible says that even though Peter was slower in the run, Peter had more courage on the arrival. And I've come to tell the Gate Church, we may have been slower on the run in Oklahoma City. It may have looked like some other places had outrun us. It may look like they got there first. It may look like they got everything together that we are missing. But the one who comes up second is still the one that can walk in first. Because the attachment was not to the charisma. The attachment was not to what you thought you were capable of. The attachment was to the inner core of your willingness to step in. I've come to talk to this church and say, it is time to step in. Who cares if we got there second? Who cares if they got there first? It's not about first. It's not about second. It's about whoever takes the time to step in. Come on, y'all going to have to come because, you know, I'll keep preaching. We have put the wrong criteria on what God's requiring to have the resurrection life and the purposes of God moving. We have allowed ourselves to become driven, believing that if our drive is good enough, fast enough, we do more, we accomplish more, we make a name for ourselves, we get letters behind our name. That somehow that drivenness still gives us the same measure of courage when God requires us to step into unknown things. Do you want to know my personal opinion about why John did not step in? Because I believe wholeheartedly that in the moment John was intimidated by what he was looking at. He did not know how to make sense of it. It was confusing. And he allowed himself to be backed up in that moment to not investigate it further because he was just so shocked 
at what has happened that he just decided he would peer in instead of step in because it just looked too overwhelming to actually step into it. But I've come to tell someone the last 16 months have maybe felt overwhelming. It may have looked like we were willing to just peer in. It may have looked like that somehow we believe that everything around us was so shocking, so difficult, so hard that we've been unwilling to look further. But I've come to say we are a Peter generation who it might come up last, but we will step in first. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. When Peter stepped in, the Bible says that John followed. Your decisions now and those that are coming, they may be personal, but they're not private. Someone's watching you. Here's what I figured out about reactions when people have reactions. Reactions are an indicator of previous decision-making, not future. Because the, the people who enter in are the ones who have already made the choice to just go a little bit farther. They're not intimidated whether or not the body was stolen, the things they can't explain, the things they don't understand. They just want to know. They're willing to just go a bit further, to take themselves one step I'm rounding the corner, but I want to use this example because I believe it works even right here. And I've spoke this before, but I'm bringing it back. In Luke chapter 24, it's such an important passage of scripture. It's called the road to Emmaus. The Bible says that these two men were walking on a road. They didn't know how to make sense of what was happening. And Jesus shows up to them. They're not recognizing who he was. They begin to impress upon him the same scenario and ask him all kinds of questions because he's asking them. They have an exchange. And before long, Jesus is talking to them about everything they didn't understand. He's explaining it all. He's giving them everything they were missing. And then there comes this really interesting portion of Scripture that says that these two men, even though they were receiving everything they were missing, Everything they had been looking for was right there in the moment. Every single answer through scripture, everything they could ask or conceive was being done. But when it came to their turn, the Bible says they came to their place where they should turn. But Jesus would have gone a little bit further. They invited Jesus to join them, but they never took the opportunity to walk into the place they hadn't already decided to go, to stay with the one who could give them what they've never had. Here's my word over this church. It's time to go further. There's been a course direction change. God has the privilege of doing that. Acts chapter 16, he shows up and he says to Paul and to all those who were with him, and Luke is writing, and he said, we were headed to Asia, but we felt a prompting from the Spirit that that was not the direction we were to go. 
Now listen, they were going to do good things in Asia. They were going to preach the gospel in Asia. It wasn't like they were setting themselves up for a disaster, that they were walking in sin. They were righteous people headed in a direction. But the Spirit said, halt. It's not that way. And the Bible says that prompting stopped them. Here's something important I want to get. The prompting stopped them, but there was no new word yet. Sometimes you got to tarry a minute when God says it ain't that way. Now listen, I'm going to speak from me. I'm grateful for what God gave me in Oklahoma City. I'm incredibly grateful. I'm grateful to have done life with some incredible people. But when God says you can't go that way, you got to stop trying to explain what God said. Because sometimes it's just walking with who you know has something you don't have further than where you were wanting to go. Who knows if two men would have just stayed on the journey where God would have taken them. But instead of changing course on their own, they invited Jesus to join their course. I'm going to tell you something in America. We have invited God to join our direction. And because he is gracious and loving and kind, just like he was to two men in Emmaus, he has shown up at our table. But because there was nothing new for them to gain from him, the Bible says as soon as they broke bread, Jesus was no longer there. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus found himself in a place that it was finally where they decided to stop and he knew he could not give them anything more, so he had to leave that table. But Acts 16 says you come to a place sometimes where you got to redirect. And it was in the night that a voice came through a dream that said in the voice of a man from Macedonia, Come, help us. They didn't know why they were stopping. But God already had a Macedonian waiting. Over this house, it is time for us to stop stopping and go. Stopping and go. Stopping and go. It's time to run our race. It's time for us to get to the place of decision. And it's time for us to say, Holy Spirit, I don't know why it's this way exactly. But I, I do know this, that there is no one I'd rather be with on this journey than the one who knows it all. The one who has been in the mix, who is the one who sticks closer than a brother. I can't explain it all, but what I do know is I will halt and wait until the word of the Lord comes because I'd rather go further with you than to the table I've already prepared. What's left is right. A left-handed man taken out the enemy of Jericho. Some of you are facing a place that you had victory in a former season. 
and now it's in a stronghold again. Jericho had already been conquered once, and now it was being taunted, held up again. I'm going to tell you something. There are victories we have won in this congregation and at this church, whether you are the 11th hour worker or the first hour. There are victories we have won, and the enemy has tried to set up camp on our victory ground, trying to convince us that we don't have what it takes to take him out, trying to get us to pay tribute to him, trying to get us to bow to him, trying to get us to believe that we're incapable of doing what we have been purposed to do. But I've come to tell someone, there is an A-hood anointing, a left-handed anointing coming upon this congregation to prepare the dagger and walk in the new way God has. Stand on your feet. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's worship together. All my, all my life you have been so, so intimidated. I've come to break off an inferiority complex off this church. We are not inferior. We are not less than. We are God's anointed army. And if you know I'm talking to you, you know that I'm speaking to you, that this is your moment to rise to the occasion. I want you to lift your hand all over the room, all over. Have the courage to say yes. Lord, all over the room, there are hands going up all over. Lord, thank you right now, all over this room, that you are pouring out your yes. You are taking off the inferiority and you are putting on the acceptance of Christ. You are taking the left hand and using it for the right hand work. You are taking what looked like a weakness and turning it into a strength. You look like you 